In celebration of opening day, we've got a special episode of The Moth Podcast for you. The theme is baseball and the surprising ways it connects people. I gaze out at the players on the field and then I, uh, I look over at my dad and I, I realize that in the silence between us that something has changed. It's like I'm seeing him for the first time. Two stories about baseball, family, and so much more. The episode's available right now. Subscribe to The Moth Podcast to make sure you hear it. Yeah, there should be some passion. This doesn't have to be boring. Boring, boring. Hey, one thing the game needs is more people like you. You, you. Still have grown men run around tight pants. It's Mookie Betts. It's Daniel Bard. It's Steve Aoki. There's Salt Lamakia. This is Brock Holt. Hey, this is John Lester. Baseball is baseball. Baseball isn't boring. Welcome to Baseball Isn't Boring. Here's your host, Rob Radford. Baseball isn't boring, particularly when you get the chance to hear from the people who make the big decisions explaining how those decisions came about. And that's exactly what we did in today's podcast. We talked to Arizona Diamondbacks GM Mike Hazen. Mike Hazen, who obviously has been with the Diamondbacks for a while, is building a really, really interesting young team there. Fascinating young team. We obviously had Tori Lovello, the manager of the Diamondbacks, on the podcast a few months ago. But uh, Mike's always good. And he explains in depth the thinking behind the big contract extension everyone's talking about, Corbin Carroll, who just 30, just over 30 games into his major league career, and he gets his contract extension. It is really, really interesting in terms of insight into what go, went into that, the risk that they took, the thought process that went behind it, all of that, and how he's constructing this team, bringing in guys like Evan Longoria, all of that, and, and of course, what happened when Tori Lavelle actually got on the Rudy stool and gave the speech that he was talking about giving to his team, to the organization, right when spring training began. We already saw that. We already heard about that on the podcast. He was saying something of the, of the like of, of, let them spend the money. Let them spend the money. We'll take care of business. I'm paraphrasing. But that's go back to the podcast. You can hear it. But Mike Hazen uh, actually explains what they talked about when it came to that speech. Some good speech talk. There you go. And, of course, as we do with every GM that comes on, we take the pulse once again of executives when it comes to, yes, ketchup-flavored potato chips. It started with Alex Anthopoulos screaming from the mountaintops how this was the best food item of all time. And now we've asked a bunch of GMs who've come on, Ben Sherrington, Jerry DePoto, now Mike Hazen, ketchup-flavored potato chips. It actually uh, evolved into a very, very in-depth conversation about the eating habits in baseball. And who are the most fit GMs in all of baseball? Man, you aren't going to get those power rankings anywhere else. And also, by the way, I just want to make a note, WBC going on right now. I went down to Miami to get the lay of the land, to get the scene uh, outside the ballpark. It was crazy, man. It was crazy. It was it was great. I'm glad I went down, and it was you. You had these enormous speakers on top of these cars in the parking lot, tailgating. Uh, this a sea of Puerto Rico, a sea of Dominican Republic, and here's my takeaway. Is that number one? It was it was like this. These are the diehard fan bases. I mean, I I didn't see any any very few people, very few people actually weren't wearing either a Puerto Rican 
or Dominican Republic uh, paraphernalia. Very few people. That was striking. Also, it's also notable when you have a, when you have a game where literally you, you feel like it's half and half when it comes to fans. And no, no animosity. It wasn't like people were fighting or yelling or, or whatever. It was just a ton of people from each side filtering in. Now, we all know what happened. Puerto Rico won. And, of course, the news of the day heading into uh, Thursday here is the fact that Edwin Diaz, closer for Puerto Rico, closer for the Mets, uh, seems to have injured his leg in the celebration. And, you know, this is what we talk about with the WBC. It's so awesome. It's so great. It's unbelievable. But still... But still, you always run this risk. And I know people are going to say, well, he could have done this in spring training. Well, he could have done this in the regular season. But you know, this is this is going to pop up once again. Because every time we have the WBC, usually it's after. Usually it's, oh, here, look at the pitchers who went through the WBC and look at what they're, they're experiencing during the regular season. But this is a risky run, and you can see the looks on the players' faces. It was such a great game, such a great environment, such a great win for Puerto Rico. But obviously, everybody on that field, on both sides, were were just crestfallen by this thing, by Edwin Diaz going off in a wheelchair. All right, we're going to talk more about that maybe later today or certainly as the week unfolds. But for the time being, we wanted to give you perspective on one of the biggest contract extensions of spring training. That was Arizona Diamondbacks' Corbin Carroll. Uh, also, we wanted to get perspective once again for about the ketchup-flavored potato chips. Anyway, subscribe, rate, review. Also, also, thank you for everybody for reading A Damn Near Perfect Game, the book I co-authored with Joe Kelly. It's getting great reviews. It's getting great reaction. And it's getting the reaction, honestly, that I was hoping it was going to get. And so just thank you, everybody, for, for reading it, for buying it, for, for listening to it, whatever you do. Um, but I feel like what people can understand about this book is that it's a perfect way, it's a perfect read heading into the baseball season. It really, it really is. I mean, it really is. And we could talk about Joe sitting down with the commissioner and so forth and so on. But it is all, everything about it, it's a perfect read to get you ready for the baseball season. All right, all right, enough book promotion. Here you go. Here we sat down with Mike Hazen. Um, as you can be able to tell, great guy, great conversationalist, and really, really smart guy when it comes to building a baseball team. Arizona Diamondbacks, pick the click. There you go. I said it here first. And just so happens, we have on their chief decision maker, Mike Hazen. All right, Mike Hazen, how are you? Hey, Rob. It's good What's, to see you again. Good to see you. Good to see you. Let's go. <laughs> you, have, you haven't aged a bit. <laughs> I have. You live in a stress-free life, it seems. I am. Yeah, just unbelievable. It's, it's Well, listen, it's a good day uh, to be here talking with you. And I'm just going to cut right to the chase. What everybody wants to know, we've had on a bunch of GMs on this Baseballs and Boring podcast. I, I know that everyone's talking about it out there in Arizona, right? Correct? Baseball not being boring? Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right, there I you never go. thought it was boring, but yeah, let's go down. All right. Road. Well, well, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask you at some point, why isn't baseball boring? And I've had a couple of good answers, honestly, Mike, in the last week. 
I had Anthony Volpe who had said, uh, well, I don't even, I don't associate with people putting those two words together. I thought that was a good one. Um, and then, uh, you know, we've just had it all over. So I'm going to ask you a little bit later, but more importantly, we've had on a bunch of GMs. Some of you, a lot of your good friend, Ben Sherrington and, and, uh, had on. So Alex on Alex Anthopoulos, it was a huge debate. He kicked this off. I had proclaimed that ketchup flavored potato chips are the most disgusting food item in the world. And I've never seen a a baseball executive more passionate about a subject in my life than uh, when Alex said that, like, this may have been the greatest food item in the world. First first things first, where do you stand on ketchup-flavored potato chips? This is a ridiculous question. It's a great question. <laughs> first off. Who eats potato chips anymore? Come on, man. Like, we're all getting older, right? You got to be careful the amount of potato chips you're eating, right? Like, I mean, we work in a very stressful game. We all have stressful jobs. Like, you, you, you got to replace the potato chips at some point. I hate to say it. Like, I, 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 younger, I get it. Like, I push the button. Like, I, I'm rolling the dice. I get my blood work back every year. It gets worse and worse and worse. I'm sure yours isn't any better. Dump the potato chips and eat something a little healthier. Not trying to go, you know. I, I have my vices. We all have our vices. But the potato chips, man, you can give up the potato chips. I know. And, so and there's nothing better than a Dorito, okay? If I'm going to go with a potato chip. There's no potato chip. It's a Dorito. But if you made me pick a potato chip, salt and vinegar is the only kind of potato chip you should be eating. Ketchup flavored? Come on, man. Come on. And he, <laughs> I think he, that was a show. That was a show. There's no way Alex is eating ketchup flavored potato Oh, chip. well, okay. There's, there's a lot to pick through there. First off, as you can tell by my physique, I don't eat potato chips. And so, but I what walk. Do you eat Costco birthday cakes? <laughs> I'm just kidding, man. I love Costco. In the words, no offense to Costco if they want to be a sponsor. But I, I, will, <laughs> I will say this: so, and you know, you know, Pedroia's line. You, hey, what's up? Your cholesterol. You know that line, of course. <laughs> right. um, but I'm surprised he's not sitting next to you like Ed McMahon. Like, Ed McMahon forever, right? <laughs> which, which, by the way, by the way. The the first text that I get from you in about five years stem from a, a a video that I put up and from Pedroia. Like if 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 this is what it takes, if Pedroia if Pedroia has done a lot of great things in this game of baseball, but maybe his greatest accomplishment was just to say something on a video on a tweet that got you to text me. Right? Correct. You, you okay? Okay. So some context on that. You you intentionally misled your audience okay you put dustin pedroia in a certain frame there that was good good you put him in a you know a, a, a more flattering frame well, a, a pg frame okay? okay he doesn't live his life in pg he's been rated r since the day he was born okay like if it's if you want to get the real dustin pedroia if you want to get the real what well, we all see when it's not going right you you and you had that and you chopped it and i <laughs> i thought you did a disservice to your audience by chopping it Listen, it's fair. It's it's that's of all the things that you've said so far, that is the most fair comment that you've made. What is under- changing the world in one of the greatest personalities in baseball that's ever existed? That was my concern. <laughs> we are not doing a service to the game. It is true. If, if we're going to talk about baseball, we talked about this people being more personality, and we've been harping on more colored and cleats. Well, okay, forget about the color and the cleats. Let's go with more Dustin Bedroya getting spicy. Although, you know, listen, 
Well, you know as well as I do. You can't you can't release the full Pedroia. You okay. I, I think I can give a fairly PG version of Dustin. He came in and spoke to us last year. We were Whoa. talking we were talking about this story in the in Tori's office a few days ago. And these stories never get old. We tell the same stories over and over and over again. As you as you know, right? We say the same things over and over again. So somebody came into him when he was and said, Hey, can you sign this baseball for me? And he and and while on the baseball, can you put sort of your all your major awards? And he's like, I'm gonna need a basketball if I'm gonna put all my major <laughs> awards on here. Okay, buddy, it's not gonna fit under a baseball. So that that's who he is, right? And he does it, he does it immediately on cue, no thinking about it, no force. Like it's that's what's in the front of his brain at that exact moment. Like you can't make that up. Can't make it up. <laughs> I know. And I mean, when he was with the Red Sox spring training this year, I said, Are you gonna go hit? He's like, no, because if I do, they're going to offer to sign me. And, and so I can't. Yeah, of course. Of course. <laughs> All right. So, uh, yeah. So, uh, oh, what's that, Dustin? Oh, oh, oh you don't want to get on camera? Oh, okay. All right. Sorry All right. I sidetracked your entire podcast. No, 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 no. It's good. It's good. This is this is what people want. Um, and by, I'm going <laughs> to, more importantly, before we get to baseball, I do have to, to go back to the potato chip conversation. I'm not saying eating the potato chips. I, I was at that stage in my life. Yes. It was like the 15 diet Cokes and the potato chip bag of potato chips, like every inning. I understand that. Like we, uh, we understand it's a different world and we have to be more vi- vigilant when it comes to this. What I'm saying is that when you walk by a bag that says ketchup flavored potato chips, you cannot not try that. And so my, and so when we talked about Anthopolis, it's a it's a cultural thing. Like it's a it's a Canadian thing, and I'm not being I'm not stereotyping. This is a very ste- sure you are. No, I'm You're not. In an international incident right now. <laughs> it's, he, I've talked to other people from Canada, and Alex is obviously from Canada, who say like this is the most delicious item in the world. It is so disgusting. So 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 anyway, the takeaway is that. So far, we have documented that there is one GM in baseball who actually likes ketchup flavored potato chips. Got all right, all right, all right. we okay. Go, we got go. that. That's a we're, we're, we're covering some major. We've, we've solved a lot of worlds, <laughs> right? You really have. So uh, I'll just say it this way: I've eaten a lot of disgusting things in my life. Like you can't really disgust me with sort of putting foods together. I mix foods together, like no problem. I will take two separate things. Put it in one bowl, put it all together and eat it. And I think it tastes more delicious. So putting two things that I do like, potato chips and ketchup, like I could see the the intrigue. I just, you know, I look, I walk by the potato chip aisle. I don't have any problem. I don't have any problem with the potato chip aisle. I have a major problem in the candy aisle. Okay. You walk me down that ride, row in a, in a pharmacy and you see all those boxes of candy. I, that that's where That's where I start to twitch a little bit. Okay, so we're gonna save that the Halloween podcast for Halloween next year. Perfect. Um Perfect. what who is but who is the worst eating um executive that you've ever seen? Baseball executive. Who is a baseball executive you say I, I'm not answering that question. Come on. That, that is ridiculous. Come on. That you is, you wanted you wanted me to be full disclosure with my Pedroia videos and I, now I, you're I, holding yeah, back. I mean yeah, I'm not throwing anybody under the bus on that. We're 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 not a very healthy group in well, general. Um, you know, the, the, the times you eat, the way you eat, like the people that eat well are the ones that stand out. It's 
not the other way around. Okay. So I'm sure 25 of us all fit into one bucket and there's five more that aren't eating ketchup flavored potato chips. All right. Yeah. Well, we had Jerry DePoto on. He didn't look like he was eating any potato chips. He, he's no, he's probably in the five. Yeah. Right? He's in the, he's so in we'll the go five. the other direction. You'll see. You'll end up stuck. Right, give, give, give me, give me four others. Give me the four. Chris Antonetti, Chris Antonetti for sure. Like, okay. He does not put anything bad into his body. This is better than, by the way, this is better than identifying the the five guys in Joe Kelly's fight club. The five most fit GMs in baseball. So we got DePoto, Antonetti, who yeah. else? Let me think. Let me think. Let me think. This, by, by, by the way, this would be a great race. Like we see the video of the race with Gretzky and Sugar Ray Leonard and Bjorn Borg. This would be a great race. The 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 40-yard dash with the, with the GMs. So any, can you give me one other? The fact that you can't come up with one sort of distracts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Ross, I mean, yeah. Ross is probably up there too. Okay. You know? okay. But, but everyone growing up in that Cleveland area tree, like it, 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 there was some indoctrination going on, right? It was a little cultish with regard to how you had to exercise and work out. So right. you can see that. It wasn't so much in Boston when I got to Boston. That wasn't necessarily the MO. Okay? <laughs> no. uh, you, were all, you guys were all young. Your metabolism was like – yeah. It was yeah. never better. Uh, all right, Corbin Carroll. <laughs> all right, so. Who eats like you have never seen in your life. Oh, so ooh, oh, no, big, no, no, no. big no, eater. Very health conscious. Yes. Oh, really? This yeah, is why you're five. He'd be number one. Ooh, oh, he, he, Corbin Carroll uh, and four other GMs, the fittest that's people right. in that, baseball. Okay, that's a good way to put it. Uh, and this is clearly why you signed him to an extension. So this, all dietary habits. This, this, was, this, was the, this was the thing that said, you know, we're right on the edge. Show me how much you've eaten your spinach, your broccoli, and your that's squash. Right. Um, oh, is that is that it? Is that his yeah, thing? That's one of the things. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, I they, they didn't have that back in two thousand five. Yeah, turmeric, anti-inflammatory. Yes, yeah, there's a lot of. Is this yeah. in the, is this in the Diamondbacks clubhouse? This stuff? Maybe, maybe oh. not. Well, I can't give away. I can't give away secrets. Wow, the Lavello Hazen effect. Not the Lavello Hazen. Okay? <laughs> oh We're eating the quesadillas. Okay. <laughs> can I? Can you get? Can you pull Tori in the room and ask him to spell those vegetables that you just said? So, <laughs> uh, all right. So uh, I asked to the baseball. So I had asked. asked speaking of Alex Anthopoulos, uh, he signed a bunch of extensions along the lines of what sort of you did with Corbin. Um, I, I asked this question because I'm kind of interested. When was the first – do you remember the moment where you said, hey, you know what? I think it might be a good idea to sign this guy to an extension. And I think that uh, – who was it? Oh, I know. When I asked Apoto this with Julio Rodriguez, he said when he was 18. When he was 18. Now, maybe you were like in a Chili's in Tempe. I don't know. Again, I Poor eating habits or whatever. No offense to Chili's, but uh, do, you, do, do you do you do you remember? Do you remember? You no, know, you can the, choose to have a salad at Chili's, right? That, like, that's true. You don't have to go with the fajitas. Like just that's saying. true. So, so when you were having your Cobb salad at Chili's, was that what? When was the first time that you actually thought, "Hey, this is a good"? I mean, you think about it, but when was the first time those words came out of your mouth, maybe to somebody else? I don't know. I don't know that we had an exact moment like that. I, I think when we drafted him. Um, the things we we felt very fortunate to draft him. You know, he fell where we were relative to how we saw him as a player. So that was one of those days on draft day. I think he went 16th. You know, you're kind of keeping your fingers crossed for 15 picks. He was definitely in our top couple um, that we were hoping was gonna, we're going to fall all the way down, which when you're picking there in the draft, you're pretty much, you know, you know you're dealing with a small percentage that that's actually going to happen. And it, it used to happen a little bit more back in the day when there was a little more, you know, bonus manipulation type stuff. And that doesn't go on anymore, which is great. So it's, 
it's it's um so it it fell to us and and we got very fortunate to have selected him and we did a lot of work on his makeup and knew a lot of these things and honestly i i, I don't believe i'm sort of exaggerating this that a lot of those same characteristics and qualities he had when he walked in are the same things that we see every single day here. There's a level of consistency that he's demonstrated with his discipline and attention towards becoming a great baseball player um, that only further cemented as we went through it. And and we didn't really think about doing anything like this because I don't necessarily think you do as a minor leaguer. Once he came up last year, we started talking about it last offseason about you know, probably unlikely that it's going to happen because most of these things don't end up happening. You know, you have these ideas that you might get something done and most of them fall through uh, for, for for various reasons, one side or the other. Um, but we wanted to at least take that risk. And, and, you know, when you open the door to these things, it is a risk because because if they don't get done, you know, there's a level of professionalism and, and people know sort of the business that it didn't get done, not because you don't like the player or whatever. You just couldn't come to a value. But you have opened the door and exchanged numbers to where I think a player can at least say, I turned down X amount of dollars if they didn't get a, a, a deal done, even if we didn't think it was fair. That's always a little bit of a risk in, your, in, in, in the back of your mind that when you open that door, you can't close that door back up. You can't pretend like it didn't happen. You know, if if the deal doesn't get done and the feeling is we shortchanged our offers and, and, and we weren't presenting fair offers. Um, those are the those are the challenges with doing the, especially as early as we did it. Um, but on the flip side, you know, we felt like the longer we, well, how we feel about the player, the longer we waited, we 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 just felt like it was going to become tougher to get a deal done. And so we felt like we were going to put our effort into actually trying to make a deal, not not get the best deal, obviously. Um, you know, in terms of uh, of of. What, who, 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 quote unquote, won the deal. That wasn't really our intention. Our intention was to try to strike a fair deal for how we felt about the player. And then we felt like the message that I sent to our clubhouse that we were starting to do some of these things. You know, there's other teams that have done more of them. We haven't. We've done a couple. We felt like, you know, we felt like it was an important step for us given where we are. It's interesting. You talk about the the dangers of of trying and then not being able to do it. And you know, the, I remember Mookie Betts told me, he said, the first one, the first, the hardest one to turn down, and they went to him, whatever, three or four times, oh, you guys, whatever. So he said the first one was the hardest one because you never see that much money. But once you get past that, I would imagine the player, to your point, the player is sort of, okay, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to go for it. I'm going to go for it. Um, have you seen that? Like, have you seen where, like, where you make the initial offer? And then sort of this, I don't want to say emboldened, that's not the right word. But when we go back to it, the back in the day when you were with the Red Sox, I remember Papelbon, I'm gonna, I'm gonna play this out all the way. Some guys are confident in that. Like, but could you see like guys like after turning down the first one, sort of being emboldened? So it's like, I'm gonna get to the finish line here. Sure. I, I, you know, the challenge with this one was, you know, some of those typically, at least in the past, they're, they've, they've had, they're happening now, I think a little sooner in their career, you know, back in the, in the past, it would be sort of more of an arbitration extension, right? Like it would be a few years of arbitration, a couple years of free agency, four or five year deals. And, and you're starting to see longer deals, um, gotten done at earlier ages, which, you know, the longer deal because the, the, he's younger, going to get to free agency younger. So from the team standpoint and the longer deal for a player, that makes sense. Like if I'm going to do something like this, I'd, I'd rather it 
you know, be more significant and longer rather than shorter, just tying up arbitration years. So you can see the incentives to do it on, on both sides. It's interesting you asked me that question. Two days ago, I was talking to a former major league player in our clubhouse and he said that exact thing. They came to him. We were talking through sort of this exact scenario and he brought up his experience and the club had come to him with an extension and he turned down the first one and he thought he was crazy. Like he turned it down, but he's like, <laughs> I couldn't, you know, that, that next couple of days I had some sleepless nights. Like this was the most money I'd ever seen. I can't believe it. And then he's like, I turned down two or three more after that, that were more. And, but I didn't feel the same way. I felt better about turning them down. So that exact same scenario did happen. In fact, where he said the first one, which was the lowest one was the hardest one to get over initially. So going forward, is that the lesson? Is that the lesson where, you know, a lot of times, you know, front offices will slow play it. We'll say, hey, you know, we want to get this. And like you said, this you don't like to say who won, who lost, but it's a business. So you slow play it in the sense of, okay, we're kind of, kind of coming lower and see if they take it. So with that experience, with with the sage advice that not only did I give you, but your that former player, Going in, do you say we got to be aggressive in that first one? Not not overly, but aggressive. You know yeah, what I'm saying? I, yeah. I, I don't. I, I don't think there's any lessons. I really don't. I think you know you try to take lessons from everything you do in this game. You make so many mistakes that you're constantly forced to address things from a lesson standpoint. Yes, um, I've made so many mistakes at this point in my career. I I, I, I can't. I've stopped counting. Um, so I, I'm, but I'm not sure there's a lesson because each one of these is so specific to the individual, you know, like I, I, you know, we take a particular approach. We'll, we'll continue to refine that approach and think about our approach in those, in those environments. I think that, you know, to me, the lesson I go back to is like the ones that we haven't done has, is that the reason they haven't gotten done or not? It, it's hard to necessarily just splice it down to that, like the first offer, because, you know, there's some people that view first offers at first offers and that that's what it's going to be. And if you keep negotiating, then that first offer kind of gets put in the rearview mirror. If you, if it's a one and done, then yeah. Like if you make a, if you make a proposal, they just say no and you don't get a counter, then yeah, maybe, maybe you didn't read, you know, the correct environment or they, they had no intention of signing a deal. And, and the, the, all of those things could be a play with, with, with these things. I, that's why I've always had the mindset that you just, the percentage chance you're actually even going to get one of these done is very low relative to the amount of times that we either consider exploring it or actually explore it. Um, and there's a reason for that. You know, I, it's just not the right time for everybody, or it might not be the right time for the team to look at it in a way that the player's looking at it. And, and whatever the dynamics leading up to that contract are, or the mindset of the player wanting to go and max out dollars through arbitration and and then just hit free agency at year six. Um, it, it's so hard to pin down. I don't really think I have, <laughs> I don't think I have enough experience in this area to really say that there's any type of blueprint that I've figured out. And you're dealing with different agencies with every one of these things too. So there's, there's not really a lot of common threads here that you can think that you could replicate a, a process. Is, is, and, and, and we all like to stick with a process, develop a process, or try to execute a process. In this world, it, I think it's pretty complicated. But... Aside from the player, this then there's the team aspect of it. And one of the things that Alex Anthopoulos had talked about, because obviously they've done a crap load of these, uh, and he's made a lot of good decisions, potato chips not being one of them. But it's it's one of these things where you get this done, and, and, and he felt like once you get one done like this, or a few of them done, 
Now, yeah, different agencies, different people and everything, but there is that feeling for the next one you try to do, okay, look at what we're doing here. We have the foundation. I don't know if if that's how one of the benefits of this is, hey, you know what? Look at everybody. We're building the foundation and here's an example of it. So be part of that foundation. Does that make sense? Yeah, so we're in a different spot than the Braves are in, right? Because for the last three years, we haven't won to the extent that the Braves have won. And I think that creates a different type of environment. That's the environment we had in Boston back when we did some of those extensions, right? It was a a feeling for some of the younger players to want to continue to build what they had grown up in, the environment that they were raised in, probably enjoying and embracing the environment that they were raised in. Um, You know, when we had that group of like Pap, Ellsbury, Petey, Uke, you know, that that uh, Johnny Lester, Clay Buckles, like that whole group that kind of in it through the years kind of got raised up together and came on the scene together. Um, I, I think that has. Yes, I do think that. And and but it's a little different for us than it is for the Braves. You know, the Braves also have that winning and we had that winning behind us in Boston. Uh Oh, lights go off. Hold on. No, no, I see you. Fine. Hold on. Okay, there you go. Oh, right. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. man, it was, it was actually right. better, better right. with the lights. Right. Energy saving uh, procedure. Oh, yeah. well, like, emergency energy you, saving. You, you guys think of everything. Yeah, of course. Um, I, I think for us, we haven't won the last few years. Our roster has rolled over. I, I took some of those sort of uh, bedrock players for us, Goldie, Zach Granke, and I traded them. Um, and – Made the decisions we made at the time, you know, whether how you view them now, however you view them, that's fine. I view them in a certain through a certain prism. But <clears throat> when you take those guys out of your clubhouse via trade, whether you felt like you had to do it or not, it <clears throat> it leaves a, a hole. And that hole we've been trying to fill and have some players that have filled some of those holes, but not to the extent that I feel like we've needed to to consistently win. And yes, I think part of the impetus for us in getting this deal done was laying some markers down with certain players that we feel are now going to be here. And we have a good farm system of some hot, really high-end players that are going to be breaking onto our club in the next year or so and being around Corbin and not having Corbin leave halfway through that process, that this group has a chance to stay together without us having to come up with some type of contractual um, situation that, that forces that to happen. Like, he's now going to be here. And so that message to me has been sent. I do think it reverberates. Um, it won't matter for every player, obviously. It just in, in the sense that some guys are going to still want to go all the way through, and that's fine. Um, it just we're trying to at least take some chances to keep that group together. Well, speaking of that group, and you know what, this is another yeah. one of our favorite topics is clubhouse dynamic, and and you know you've brought in some really great clubhouse leaders, some some guys who have been around the game. A long time and i have proposed this to some guys i think that like in the last five years maybe this has become cyclical a little bit where where maybe front offices and i'm not saying you but maybe front office had devalued that guy in other words devalued the guy that maybe the production was going to be down a little bit um but it was going to teach the other guys how to get through a baseball season in favor of the guy with potential with the spin rate, whatever it is, who hadn't done it, but maybe might be something. Now I feel like I look across baseball uh, and look at rosters, and there are these guys coming into clubhouses, being prioritized, being signed. Um, first of all, do you agree with that, that maybe this has come back to where 
teams are looking at that as a more maybe a little bit more important than in, in years past. Um, and it, this your take on that dynamic? I don't know that that was ever devalued. I I I understand that was a narrative that was written about. I don't think I'll speak for myself, but I'm pretty sure that I'm not in the minority opinion here. I don't know that anybody that's been in a clubhouse for an extended period of time devalues that concept. We talk about it every day. We talk when things come up every day, problems arise every day during a baseball season. They arise every day in spring training. Having guys in your clubhouse that can take pressure off the staff to deal with those things amongst themselves is a far more powerful dynamic than any staff you could put together. There's no disrespect to any man. Like I'm, I'm sure most managers would, would agree with this, that freeing the manager up to have to deal with things on a needed basis only and not on an everyday basis is a much more powerful dynamic for me. So always having those guys around and, and we saw it with some really successful teams and some of the challenges that those successful teams had, like, you know, you, you read about the 2013 Red Sox and, and, and it's like, Oh, it must've just been all roses for the entire year. It wasn't roses for the entire year. Right. Like it would, it took the guys like Ryan Dempster and Victorino and Napoli and Johnny Gomes and that whole group that, 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 Add so much to when we were going through some skids. I remember we got pasted in Anaheim. We were flying to Oakland or Seattle, and we were not in a good spot in the middle of the summer. Like we were, we were kind of meandering along. And and I, you know, there were stories about Dempster with the group and and the team that I'm not going to get into. Um, maybe some alternate personalities that came out on plane rides and things like that. That like, you know. I, I know it again, it gets it gets it gets romanticized after you end up winning. But I think any good team has those guys that are able to deal with the psychology of the clubhouse without the manager and the coaches always getting involved. I think that's a I don't think that was ever underappreciated in any clubhouse or team that I've ever been a part of. We didn't always do it right. I mean, you don't always you don't always press those buttons the right way. You're not always able to accomplish your goal. So, and and sometimes your team is not good enough to have it just be oh we had great veteran presence. I mean, that's not going to win you games necessarily on a day in a day out basis. That team was ridiculously talented too, right? Yeah. So so if they were just underperforming their talent at the current moment, those things can get the ship righted a little bit without putting the pressure on John Farrell to have to right the ship. Um, but 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 it, it it's it's definitely a dynamic that has always existed, and it's something we talk about all the time. Have you seen it already? I mean, obviously, like you like you said, you brought in some guys. Have you seen that dynamic already? You have a you have a really good mix, man. Like, <laughs> I mean, from from where I'm sitting, which is across the country, um, so obviously I have a pulse on exactly what's going on with your team. But uh, but do you, have you already seen that sort of dynamic? manifest itself early on because that talking about that 2013 team mike out of the get-go those guys gomes and ross and those guys those guys sent a message from day one in spring training right so have you seen a little bit of that with your group i not 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 yet um i think our our team is more heavily skewed younger than that team ever was right like we had some young players on that team but that was a veteran team by and large. And the guys that were in the middle are established players in the middle, um, you know, were the star players in a lot of ways. Like, you know, you know, 
you know, who the, the middle of the diamond, middle of the order hitters were on those teams that we didn't bring in from the outside. Um, I, I think our team is, is, is a, is a, is more of a homegrown team from, from, from the very beginning. Um, so I think that pervades our clubhouse quite a bit. Yes. You see little things. In, so, so we haven't won or lost a game yet. So it's hard to really say like what the, what the effects of what's happened so far will be. But yes, there are little things in drills that you see during spring training when guys don't do it right, that the veteran players aren't afraid to stop the drill and point those things out that again, like the coach can do that every time, but at some point that message gets lost or watered down and, 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 and a player will snap, I think a little bit more to attention when they're being told something by Longo that they aren't told by a coach. It's just a different messenger. I don't know how else to put it, but it's just the way it goes. Like you sort of listen to your peers in a different way than you listen to quote unquote authority figures. Right. Um, And so that's, we've seen, but it's still just spring training. No, I mean, I don't, there's been our, and our team is definitely a very young team. So the majority of our players are in that younger group. We're trying to encourage that younger group to kind of grow up pretty quickly and hold each other accountable. And we've been fortunate that the makeup of the guys that we have coming up, Corbin Carroll being the highlight that we've already talked about, but there are others that sort of reflect his characteristics and his work ethic and his, and his commitment. Um, I think that's going to be the basis for the strength of our team. So you've been very generous with your time. I appreciate it. And um, the last thing is, you're going to find this shocking, but Tori Lavella was on this podcast, and he was talking about, I asked him, I said, give me your speech. You know, the, the, the get everyone together speech. You know, what do you, you get in the Rudy stool? Like, what do you say? And he kind of gave it to me. He's kind of like, like, let them spend. We're going to do this, blah, 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 blah. So anyway. Was it a good speech? Like I like you know was did, did was it there? Because Tori can give good because he's a genuine guy. Like like so yeah. his speeches like actually carry something. It's not like he's not reading off a script. Was it a good speech? We talked about the speech. We talked about he does give great speeches. We talked about what's the upside of the speech on the first day of spring training with seventy five guys in camp and we're going to break with a twenty six man roster like. Where does that message, where is that message getting received? And oh, by the way, it's six weeks until that message gets to get put into actual, right? So we we spoke more about maybe we shift it up this year and focus more on the next six weeks of spring training to get the most out of spring training rather than worrying about what what goals the team that three quarters of or whatever, two-thirds of whom sitting in that room at least on opening day, won't be part of that team, right? So who are you speaking to in that moment? So we spent a lot of time talking through that. And he it's it, it's a it's a it's a it's a little bit of a chiseled down version of what he said because the same things that we believed in six years ago, we still believe today that he is a very fundamentalist in nature when it comes to baseball, that that the little things that get done on a baseball field are extremely important for him, mostly on the defensive side, <clears throat> but certainly in some of the small executable offensive without playing small ball. Um, and those things are extremely important to him, like how we can get advantages when we're on the bases. Um, though, so he highlighted a lot of that stuff and that we were going to drill those things and we were we were expecting everyone to pay very close detail to how they were being instructed and allowing them to be instructed. And so that was the general message. It, it probably was not as uh, Newt Rockney-ish. Oh. It, it was more, it was more tailored down. Don't worry. You still would have been inspired by it. I'm not okay. trying to, 
Okay, don't worry, but you're easily inspirable, so you're not the great audience here. Like, uh, it's, tr it's true. It's true. I see it's your face. It's always like, wow. Like, yeah, like, you know? <laughs> it's great. You're, you're like a kid. Pedroia, I can't believe you said that. I can't believe you just told <laughs> right? me that you were so good. You were, right, exactly. You've heard that story a thousand times, and every time he says something, you're like, geez, yeah, that's incredible. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, listen, uh, like I said, you've been generous with your time. Always a pleasure. And there's T-shirts on the way for your entire oh, team. Oh, man, I'll be wearing those with pride. Uh, oh, you will. It makes your triceps yes. pop. I mean, love free stuff. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, there you, go. You, you, didn't have to, you didn't have to say that. You could just say, I really, really, I really, really like the message Wait, of the podcast. You're, you're going to charge me for the T-shirts? I should, no, I guess no, I no. no but, but obviously, the underlying point of the Baseballs and Boring T-shirts, we want the message, but everyone likes free stuff. There's a reason why half the Red Sox team is walking around with the t-shirts it's it's not because you know they love the podcast they, they love the podcast yeah yeah, yeah. all right or bye. the podcaster yeah but oh, the, yes the, all right <laughs>